And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, June the 27th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. In 1844, today, Mormon leader Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were killed by a mob in Carthage, Illinois. Today, in 1880, author, lecturer Helen Keller, she lived most of her life without sight or hearing. As we know, she was born in Alabama today in 1880. Today, in 1942, the FBI announced the arrests of eight Nazi saboteurs put ashore in Florida and Long Island, New York. All were tried and sentenced to death. Six were executed, but two were spared for turning themselves in and cooperating with U.S. authorities. Today, in 1974, President Richard Nixon opened an official visit to the Soviet Union. Today, in 1991, Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, he was the first black jurist to set on the nation's highest court, he announced his retirement. His departure led to the nomination of Clarence Thomas to succeed him. Clarence Thomas was attacked in ways that I have never seen in my lifetime, and I've been a, an observer of politics and of the process of in our country. Joe Biden, who was chairman of the committee, took him on in ways that I had never seen at that time. And I, you never forget it. It just makes an indelible impression on your mind. What I learned then as a younger man, I learned that Joe Biden and Democrats, for the most part, they don't necessarily like black people, and they're not trying to help them. They're only trying to help those who embrace their ideology and work for them on their plantation. Today in 2006... A constitutional amendment to ban desecration of the American flag died in the in a Senate cliffhanger, fell one vote short of the 67 needed to send it to states for ratification. That's a few things that happened in history today. We always do that because we feel that history gives us some insight into the present and into the future. I want to read a verse, a scripture this morning for you, one that you've probably memorized. I hope you have. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the word of the Lord for you this morning. We learned uh, this morning that the Supreme Court this morning, has rejected a legal theory that would have radically reshaped the how federal elections are conducted by giving state legislatures largely unchecked power, the New York Times says. They are gleeful about this ruling that the Supreme Court put out this morning. Um, <laughs> the New York Times says that the um, this would have given state legislatures largely unchecked power to set all sorts of rules for federal elections and to draw congressional maps warped by partisan gerrymandering. The vote was 6-3, to three, with Chief Justice John Roberts, Jr., writing the majority opinion. The Constitution, he said, does not exempt state legislatures from the ordinary constraints imposed by state law. Justices Clarence Thomas, one of the greatest 
Supreme Court justices ever to sit on that court, and there have been some great ones. Justice Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Neil Gorsuch dissented. Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett did not. That, to me, was profoundly disappointing. The case concerned the independent state legislature theory. The doctrine is based on the reading of the Constitution's election clause. I'm not going to get too deep into this, except to say that the clause says, in part, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I understand what that says. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. But no, the Supreme Court says, nope, you're not going to go down that path. We're going to let the federal government meddle in the state's affairs. And Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett went along with that. Republicans pushed for it. Only the state legislature can make and change the rules because they are the body of elected people from that state. But no, we're not going to do that. We're going to give some power back to the federal government. That's the problem in the last election. In the various states, and again, we're not going to get into the details of this today. I'm sure we'll be talking about elections in the days to come, Lord willing. But that, that was the problem with the last election. In the middle of the night, they were extending the hours, or they were limiting the hours of voting, and they were changing rules like mad. Not the legislature, but the Secretary of State, the Lieutenant Governor, depending on the state. I mean, they were all over the place trying to pull out an election and get Joe Biden elected, and they did. I don't believe for a moment that Joe Biden got 83 million votes from Americans. I mean, we may be busy and distracted, but we're not that busy and distracted. And now it's only gotten worse. The presidential election was what prompted this whole uh, effort to look at the election clause and see what it says and affirm it by law. But the Supreme Court says no. No, we're not going to let you do that. I don't know. I, that's very disappointing to me, and I, I, I hope this isn't a trend. I, I expected Kavanaugh particularly. I read a lot. I, I don't know those people, but I read a lot about Amy Coney Barrett, and boy, I, I, she surprised me on a couple of votes. This is one of them. It just was disappointing, to say the least. What's not surprising is the fact that Kamala Harris entered the record books yesterday when NBC News poll revealed she is the most unpopular vice president in the history of this nation, according to polling of the public. She is the most unpopular vice president in the history of our country. I don't hear anyone disagreeing with that as I read it. <clears throat> Man, she is, I, she is a piece of work, I'll tell you. I don't know. 
The Wall Street Journal published an informative and concerning article last week explaining how China is in the last stages of an agreement with Cuba. They have been working internally in our country for quite some time. The Confucius Institute and uh, other efforts that they're doing, they have their own policing uh, uh, operations in some of our cities. They're, they say they're not really there to try to involve themselves in our own police you know, system, but they're there to police their own people who are here in this country. And what they're basically doing, it's in at least seven cities they've uncovered now, they're doing covertly, but they are uh, approaching Chinese citizens who are here in America going to school or whatever, uh, and uh, they're threatening them if they say anything negative about China, about the communist uh, Chinese government. So that came to light recently. And that is, as Cicero said, the enemy within. But the Wall Street Journal published this. For the, they're the only one that published it. I don't know if the other news sources didn't know about it or if they just simply didn't want to talk about it. But the journal says China and Cuba are negotiating to establish a new joint military training facility on the island. Sparked alarm in Washington that it could lead to the stationing of Chinese troops and other security and intelligence operations just 100 miles off Florida's coast. First it was a balloon. Now it's a base. China is standing on our doorstep militarily. I don't think we have the leadership to guide us through something like this in America today. I really don't. I wish we did. I don't believe we do. The Wall Street Journal said discussions for the facility on Cuban's, Cuba's northern coast, that would be the closest to the U.S., the northern coast, are at an advanced stage but not concluded. U.S. intelligence reports suggest that the Biden administration has contacted Cuban officials to try to forestall the deal, seeking to tap into what it thinks might be Cuban concerns about ceding their sovereignty. I don't think that will be a concern. China is going to give them whatever they want, money, particularly to the leadership, kind of like the Hunter Biden deal here. And um, they're going to tap into that. And I, I believe that it Cuba is going to go along with this. We'll see what happens. I mean, I could be wrong. It de- depends on some things. But I, I think China is pretty good at what they're doing. They're, they're moving into countries all over the world. And uh, this Belt and Road um, program that they have going, they're building roads and bridges and highways and all kinds of stuff, super highways and one thing or another in third world countries. And third world countries are ceding them a lot of authority. I don't know if they're ceding their sovereignty as a nation to them, but probably some of them are. I'm not sure. But I wouldn't be surprised if that weren't the case. The White House, (laughs) the Wall Street Journal contacted the White House over the weekend, and the White House declined to comment on it. U.S. officials said a reference to the proposed new training facility in Cuba is contained in highly classified new U.S. intelligence. Why does the Wall Street Journal have access to it then? They described it as convincing but frag- fragmentary. And um, it's, being inter- it's being interpreted by d- different levels of alarm among policymakers and intelligence 
uh, analysts. It seems like the liberals, the people that are lined up with the far left, are saying, oh, it's no big deal. And the people that are more conservative and more aligned with the right are saying, yes, it is a big deal. The Wall Street Journal reported on June 8 that China and Cuba had reached an agreement in principle for a new eavesdropping site in Cuba. That's already in play. The White House characterized that reporting as inaccurate, but they didn't elaborate on it. They just said, no, they're wrong. But two days later, the White House declassified intelligence to confirm publicly that Chinese intelligence collection facilities have existed in Cuba since at least 2019. Beijing has apparently agreed to pay Havana several million dollars, billion dollars for eaves, this eavesdropping facility. So what will they pay to put their troops on the ground 100 miles off our coast? The responses to this new Chinese effort to establish a significant base 100 miles from our border is met with different responses. An official with the Chinese embassy in Washington referred to comments from a senior foreign ministry spokesman in Beijing on June 9, saying he wasn't aware of any deal between China and Cuba, saying the U.S. is an expert in chasing shadows in other countries and meddling in their affairs. Oh, that's the Chinese talking, and that you would expect them to say that, but it's interesting. That is pretty much how other countries see America today, unfortunately, and it doesn't need to be that way. We have such a great country. God has blessed us so much and given us the freedoms under God, one nation, indivisible. But these people have, they've undermined the foundations. We hope that relevant parties can focus more on things that are conducive to enhancing mutual trust and regional peace and stability, the communists say. That's what they said. That's a quote. Chinese foreign ministry spokesman is Mao Ting, or Ning. He said when asked about the Cuba negotiations at a regular briefing in Beijing on on Tuesday, he said, you need to focus on more important things. (laughs) Like, there's nothing to see here. We're just building these bases so we can encroach on the United States in your freedoms, but don't worry about it. The White House says they're working to disrupt China's activities, whatever that means. But Senator Mark Warner, he's a Democrat from Virginia, and Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, the chair and the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, they said in a joint statement earlier this month, They said they were deeply disturbed by reports that Havana and Beijing are working together to target the United States and our people. We should all be concerned about this, about the security of our national sovereignty. It's not just a political matter. It's a biblical matter. What does the Bible say about national sovereignty? Well, you might be surprised to know it says a lot about it. Psalm 22, verse 28 says, For the kingdom is is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. The U.S. Constitution secures the sovereignty of the United States over its borders and citizens. It is the means by which the philosophy of rights and government described in the Declaration of Independence is institutionalized and secured. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. 
our founders said, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Civil government is not the source of rights, the creator is. But it is the authorized, it is authorized through the consent of the governed to secure rights on its behalf and remains accountable to the people of the United States and their posterity. The Declaration of Independence describes our, our rights and our liberty. The Constitution shapes the structure of government to secure them. Not give them, but secure them. That's why I get nervous when these justices of the Supreme Court are giving power to Washington, D.C. The power belongs with the people in the states, not in Washington, D.C., Our founding fathers worried about that. Patrick Henry was beside himself over that very issue. And we should be. Our rights and liberty come from God, not from the government. But it must be taught and secured in every generation. And today this nation is being shredded in front of our kids. When they're not learning about transgenders, they're learning about how bad America is. I don't know what's the matter with us. Job, chapter 12, verse 23 says, He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. There's a thread of belief within the so-called Christian left that holds to the idea that nations should not protect themselves because we are to live in unity. George Soros believes that, apparently. He calls his organization Open Borders for a reason. That's his life's calling is to tear down the national sovereignty of America. And yet he has prospered greatly in America. That really bothers me. I hope it bothers you as well. The main push for Soros is to create a world without borders, a global village. When we take a closer look, the Christian left advocates for open borders. They do so under the guise of peace and compassion. But a closer look, reveals an agenda to dissolve the borders and to remake God's plan for nations. Not only is it anti-American, it's anti-God. But so much in our culture today is anti-God. I want to share some thoughts on what the Bible says about the sovereignty of nations and national defense. I know we don't hear this from the pulpit. I preach some of these things in my sermons as a pastor, but many don't, and that's why we have an uninformed nation in great part, not all. Brian Fisher, an old friend of mine, has written quite a bit on that, and some of what I'm going to share with you is drawn from what he's written in the past. But the scriptures make it clear that national sovereignty, including clearly defined borders, is God's idea. I've said this before, I mentioned it, in fact, a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned this verse in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Hopefully you remember that. But in Acts 17, 26, we read, And he made one man every, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. There's two things we're told are under God's sovereign control. How long a nation lasts and where its borders are. Now, you won't hear this in most situations, but we're, list- we're going to go through this here. 
how long a nation lasts and where its borders are. If we believe in a sovereign God, if we believe that God is in control, and we do, he is, then we have to believe that he's in control of everything, not just some things. The verb that's translated as having determined is the Greek verb. It's horizo. That's, we get that from the word horizon. It means to mark out or to define. So God marked out and defined the borders of each country. For example, our southern border is there by God's design. To disregard it, to treat it as if it were not there, to regard it as something not worth respecting or defending, is an insult to God, who put it there for our benefit. You say, Gary, that's, that's, you're overreaching. No, I'm not. God is either control, in control or he is not in control. The Bible says he is in control, and I believe that. I live that way. If I didn't believe God was in control, I would have a nervous breakdown living in this world without the hope of God and the hope of his word. And I think you would agree with me on that. Our southern border is there by God's design. The bulk of the second half of Joshua is a record of the promised uh, promised land being divided among the 12 tribes. What's striking to me is how thoroughly and detailed the description of each tribal boundary is. In Joshua chapter 15, and I don't have time to go through that today, but in Joshua chapter 15, the word boundary is found no less than 15 times in describing the perimeter of Judah. It's very important to God. Boundaries, they just are. You may not agree with that, but they are. Read the Bible. God is into boundaries for this time in human history. Even regarding private property, curses were pronounced on anyone who moved a boundary marker, a stone that delineated the perimeter of privately owned land. Borders, boundaries, property lines clearly matter to God. These boundaries are to be respected. It's made plain by Moses himself. In fact, in a passage that we don't often, again, we don't hear a lot about, but it's the Bible. Numbers chapter 20. Verses 14 through 21, we read that Moses sought permission from the king of Edom to cross his border and pass through his land. When the permission was refused, Moses didn't force his way in. He respected the king's decision and went around Edom to the east. Moses couched his original request this way. He said, please let us pass. This is in Numbers chapter 20. He said, please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from the well. We will not turn aside to the right hand or the left until we have passed through your territory. Let us just go straight across. We won't mess with anything, but we want to cross your property. He recognized the sovereignty of that property. The king's response, he said, you shall not pass through. He said, no. Moses tries a second time to secure an entrance visa. He said, we will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water and I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. The king of Eden wasn't moved. He said, no, again. He said, I don't want tourism across my land. You shall not pass through. So how did Moses react to the denial of permission to immigrate into and through another nation's sovereign territory? He didn't barge ahead anyway. He didn't climb over the fence or whatever. He didn't try to sneak in under the cover of darkness. Did he launch a military strike to secure passage? No. The Bible says, Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage to the territory, so Israel turned away from him. They just went a different way. They charted a different path. 
That's how important sovereignty of nations are to God in this period of time. There will be a time when Christ will rule and reign. But that isn't today yet. It could be, but it isn't today yet. But the lesson is each nation's sovereignty is marked by its boundary, and each nation has the moral right to decide who will be given permission to enter its sovereign territory. Moses recognized this, and so should we. The only exception is under the circumstances of a just war. Bottom line, borders are biblical, and they're there by God's sovereign design, and they're there to be respected by everyone. That's lost in all of this babble from the left. The left is only seeking power for themselves so they can enrich themselves. And if you need an example of that, it isn't Moses, it's Joe Biden. That's what's going on in our country today. We currently have leadership in this country that appears to be more committed to globalism than national sovereignty. Globalism because they see a larger enlarged role and opportunity to enrich themselves in globalism than they do in a sovereign nation such as the U.S. And they're doing pretty well in the sovereign nation as the U.S. But as Christians, we're called to stand for and defend, if necessary, the nation that God has given us for his purposes. China operates inside our country with its Confucius Institutes, policing stations. Now they're moving their military complex ever so close to our borders. And I haven't read specifically this, but I believe our government probably, our current government that's in power is probably trying to appease them in some way, begging on the on a knee, perhaps. That isn't God's will for this nation. That wasn't the will of the founding fathers. Benjamin Franklin was probably the least religious person among our founding fathers. And yet we have record of him saying, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs the affairs of men. Even he recognized, not being a tremendously religious person, that God is in control. He said that God governs the affairs of men. I'm quoting him. Franklin said, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire can rise without his aid. He said, we've been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. These are the principles upon which this nation was founded. These are the principles upon which we stake out this nation. This is the only nation in history that has been founded on the need, the drive for liberty and freedom, religious liberty and freedom. All other nations have been formed around ancient bloodlines or ancient boundaries. America is an exceptional nation. We need to stand up. We need to pray for our nation. We need to ask God to forgive us and to bless us and lead us and give us leadership that recognizes that. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for your support. I'll see you tomorrow.